0: Hello, James Kenny here, and welcome to my podcast, Land of the Golden Sunset, The Evolution of the Irish from Biblical Times. This is episode number 42, and it's about the Provisional IRA, Internment Without Trial in Northern Ireland, Direct Rule, and Secretary of State William Whitelaw in 1972. I hope you like this, and that you will share it with others on social media. The street battles continued sporadically in towns and cities of Northern Ireland, particularly in Belfast and Derry. Foreign journalists who witnessed the Catholics being burned out of their homes said they could not see both sides ever coming together in peace. No way could nationalists and unionists ever be united in Northern Ireland. The provisional IRA emerged and seemed to be taking over and dictating the action on behalf of the Nationalists fighting the mobs on the Unionist side. Not with stones now, but with real guns and real live ammunition. In Stormont in 1971, the Unionists were calling for a military solution and to lock away the IRA subversives. The hardliners were saying, lock them up and throw away the key. And so... Internment without trial was agreed upon. Meanwhile, Irish-American support in the form of dollars was coming hard and fast from America to help the downtrodden nationalists. Whether they were aware or not that this money would find its way to subversive organisations is unknown. Whether or not they knew that the IRA was an illegal force in both Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland is not known. But they did not care. Those 40 million of Irish descent in the USA wanted to lend a hand, and to them this was the best or only way to do it. The provisional IRA could now afford to procure and purchase the most up-to-date guns, ammunition and Semtex plastic explosives. This newly found wealth had a powerful attraction to the young men who were asking, what can we do to help? Recruiting offices were set up in out of the way places and in the Republic, where many were seething with rage at seeing their fellow Catholics being crushed indiscriminately by the Unionist authorities, duly assisted by the Orangemen. Meanwhile, the Housing Executive Northern Ireland Act became law on the twenty fifth of february nineteen seventy one and provided for the establishment of for a central authority for public sector housing in Northern Ireland, and to also oversee the provision of grants for improvement to the private sector. James Chichester Clark, the Northern Ireland Prime Minister, held a meeting with Reverend William Conway, then Catholic Cardinal of Ireland, the first meeting since nineteen twenty one. On Thursday the fourth of march nineteen seventy one, the first meeting of the Northern Ireland Housing Executive was held at Stormont, and on Tuesday the twenty third of march nineteen seventy one, the Local Government Boundaries Northern Ireland Act became law. The Act provided for the appointment of a boundaries commissioner to recommend the boundaries at the names of district council and ward areas. The decision to appoint a Director of Public Prosecutions for Northern Ireland was announced on Thursday 13th of May 1971. James Chichester Clark, the Prime Minister, resigned in March 1971 to be replaced by Brian Faulkner. The Orange Order, marching to celebrate the victory of King William of Orange at the Battle of the Boyne in 1690, began in earnest in July 1971, and so too did the rioting, with the British Army supporting the Orangemen. A system of committees to oversee control of key government departments was proposed by Brian Faulkner. This system was seen as a way of providing a role for opposition parties at Stormont, and the Social Democrat and Labour Party initially welcomed the proposal. However, on the 16th of July 1971, the SDLP withdrew from Stormont because no inquiry had been announced into the shooting dead by the British Army of Seamus Cusick and Desmond Beattie in Derry on the 8th of July 1971. Interment without trial began on the 9th of August 1971 and in a series of raids across Northern Ireland, 342 people were arrested and taken to makeshift camps there was an immediate upsurge of violence and 17 people were killed during the next 48 hours. Of these, 10 were Catholic civilians who were shot dead by the British Army. Hugh Mullen, 38, was the first Catholic priest to be killed in the conflict when he was shot dead by the British Army as he was giving the last rites to a wounded man. Winston Donnell, 22, became the first Ulcer Defence Regiment Soldier to die in the Troubles when he was shot by the IRA near Clady, County Tyrone. There were more arrests in the following days and months. Interment was to continue until the 5th of December 1975. During that time, 1,981 people were detained. 1,874 were Catholic nationalists, while 107 were Protestant loyalists. Interment had been proposed by Unionist politicians as the solution to the security situation in Northern Ireland but was to lead to a very high level of violence over the next few years and to increase support for the provisional IRA. During the 9th of August 1971 and the early hours of the 10th of August, Northern Ireland experienced the worst violence since August 1969. Over the following days, thousands of people, estimated at 7,000, the majority of them Catholics, were forced to flee their homes. Many Catholic refugees moved to the Republic of Ireland, and some have never returned to Northern Ireland. The SDLP announced that it was starting a campaign of civil disobedience in response to the introduction of internment. The SDLP also withdrew their representatives from a number of public bodies. Approximately 130 non unionist councillors announced their withdrawal from participation on district councils across Northern Ireland in protest against internment. On Friday, the 18th of June 1971, the SDLP and nationalist members of parliament refused to attend the state opening of Stormont. The first tripartite talks took place at Chequers, England in September 1971, held over two days between the Prime Ministers of Northern Ireland, Britain and the Republic of Ireland. Brian Faulkner was cajoled into these talks at Chequers with Lynch and Heat on September the 27th and 28th. These conversations, he reported to his colleagues, with satisfaction, had served very little purpose. The following agreed statement was issued after the first tripartite talks, which took place at Chequers, England, in September 1971. During the last two days, we have discussed the situation in Northern Ireland in all its aspects. We have done so fully recognising that each of us remains committed to his publicly stated position on the constitutional status of Northern Ireland. And we have been concerned to see whether, without prejudice to those positions, we can find some agreed means of enabling all the people of Northern Ireland to live in the conditions of peace and stability which any democracy should ensure to its citizens without regard to their religious or political conviction. We are at one in condemning any form of violence as an instrument of political pressure, and it is our common purpose to seek to bring violence and internment and all other emergency measures to an end without delay. We also recognise that to bring violence quickly to an end and to resume economic, social and cultural progress means must be found to establish harmony and cooperation between the two communities of Northern Ireland. Our discussion in the last two days have helped to create an atmosphere of greater understanding between us and it is our hope. That the process of political reconciliation may go forward to
1: a successful outcome. We agree that our meeting has served a significant
0: and useful purpose in present circumstances, and we believe that further such meetings may have a helpful part to play in the future. Mr. Heath and Mr. Lynch agreed to keep in close communication with each other, personally through their ministerial colleagues and at official level as might be appropriate, on all subjects affecting the future of Anglo-Irish relations. In this respect, the meeting between the two Prime Ministers, scheduled for the autumn to discuss a range of subjects, including the Anglo-Irish Free Trade Agreement, and the applications of both countries for membership of the European Communities, will be held on dates to be announced later. 10 Downing Street, SW1 This meeting had the effect of convincing the Unionists that they could not trust London, and they organised a large-scale demonstration led by the newly formed Ulster Defence Association, who set about fermenting hate and talking war. They had the British Army in a nervous state, ready to shoot to kill, at the least sign of trouble from the Nationalists. And so, the Bloody Sunday massacre happened on the 30th of January, 1972. The Reverend Ian Paisley and Desmond Bull launched the Democratic Unionist Party, DUP, on the 30th of September, 1971. And five days later, a new sitting of the Northern Ireland Parliament at Stormont began with the SDLP absent the SDLP met in an alternative assembly at Strabane Town Hall. Ian Paisley, 1926 to 2014, was a Northern Irish loyalist politician and Protestant religious leader who served as leader of the DUP from 1971 to 2008 and was First Minister of Northern Ireland from 2007 to 2008. Paisley became a Protestant evangelistical minister in 1946 and remained one for the rest of his life. In 1951, he co-founded the Reformed Fundamentalist Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster and was its leader until 2008. Paisley became known for his fiery sermons and regularly preached anti-Catholicism. He gained a large group of followers who were referred to as Paisleyites. Paisley became involved in Ulster Unionist-Loyalist politics in the late 1950s. In the mid to late 1960s, he led and instigated Loyalist opposition to the Catholic civil rights movement in Northern Ireland. This contributed to the outbreak of the Troubles in the late 1960s, a conflict that would engulf Northern Ireland for the next 30 years. In 1970, he became Member of Parliament for North Antrim, and the following year he founded the DUP, which he would lead for almost 40 years. In 1979, he became a member of the European Parliament. Throughout the Troubles, Paisley was seen as a firebrand and the face of hardline unionism. He opposed all attempts to resolve the conflict through power-sharing between unionists and Irish nationalists, and all attempts to involve the Republic of Ireland in northern affairs. His efforts helped bring down the Sunningdale Agreement of 1974. He also opposed the Anglo-Irish Agreement of 1985, with less success. His attempts to create a paramilitary movement culminated in Ulster resistance. Paisley and his party also opposed the Northern Ireland peace process and Good Friday Agreement of 1998. In 2005, Paisley's DUP became the largest unionist party in Northern Ireland, displacing the UUP, which had dominated unionist politics since 1905 and had been an instrumental party in the Good Friday Agreement. In 2007, following the St Andrews Agreement, the DUP surprisingly agreed to share power with Republican Party Sinn Féin. Against all odds, Paisley and Sinn Fein's Martin McGuinness became First Minister and Deputy First Minister, respectively, in May 2007. He stepped down as First Minister and DUP Leader in mid-2008 and left politics in 2011. Paisley was made a life peer in 2010 as Baron Banside, and he died in 2014, aged 88 years. Desmond Bowl, 1928-2015, was a Unionist politician and barrister from Northern Ireland. Discontented with James Chichester Clarke and Brian Faulkner, who came to government after Terence O'Neill's 1969 fall from power, Bolle, resigned from the UUP in 1971 and joined Ian Paisley in establishing the DUP in order to provide dissident unionist opinion with a viable political alternative. He worked as the first chairman and one of the first public representatives of the DUP and continued to sit in Stormont during the years from 1971 to 1972. He later resumed his practice as a barrister. Bowl died in April 2015, aged 86. A group of five Northern Ireland members of Parliament began a 48-hour hunger strike against internment on the 19th of October 1971. The protest took place near 10 Downing Street in London. Among those taking part were John Hume, Austin Currie, and Bernadette Devlin. On Friday, the 12th of November 1971. Stormont announced that the Royal Ulster Constabulary was to be given automatic weapons to protect police stations. Edmund Compton, the Northern Ireland Ombudsman, was replaced by John Benn on the 31 December 1971. Compton had said, The quality of administrative performance in Northern Ireland compares well with the experience of government departments In the United Kingdom. Indeed the individual citizen frequently gets a better service from a Northern Ireland ministry than he would get from a United Kingdom department in similar circumstances owing to the easier access to central government that is both feasible and customary in a territory the size of Northern Ireland. Two years later John Benn who had taken over the responsibilities as ombudsman when Sir Edmund retired, in his annual report stated, During a period of wholly exceptional stress and strain, the standard of service to the public to which Sir Edmund paid tribute two years ago has been remarkably well maintained. It is not, I think, sufficiently appreciated that public servants in Northern Ireland have had to cope in these last few years, not only with the effects of widespread terrorist violence, but with civil disobedience on a large scale, and at the same time, with the most far-reaching and radical changes in the administration as a whole. On Tuesday the 18th of January 1972, Brian Faulkner, the Prime Minister of Northern Ireland, banned all parades and marches in Northern Ireland until the end of the year. However, an anti-interment march was held At McGilligan Strand, County Derry, on Saturday, the 22nd of January 1972, with several thousand people taking part. As the march neared the internment camp, it was stopped by members of the Green Jackets and the Parachute Regiment of the British Army, used barbed wire to close off the beach. When it appeared that the marchers were going to go around the wire, the army then fired rubber bullets and CS gas at close range into the crowd. A number of witnesses claimed that the paratroopers severely beat the protesters and had to be physically restrained by their own officers. John Hume accused the soldiers of beating, brutalising and terrorising the demonstrators. Prior to Bloody Sunday, Frank Lagan, the Chief Superintendent of the Royal Ulster Constabulary, notified Andrew McClellan the commander of the 8th Infantry Brigade, of his contact with the Civil Rights Association on the 24th of January 1972, and informed him of their intention to hold a non-violent demonstration protesting against internment in Derry on the 30th of January 1972. He also asked that the march be allowed to take place without military intervention. McLennan agreed to recommend this approach to General Ford, the commander of Land Forces in Northern Ireland. However, Ford had placed Derek Wilford, commander of the 1st Battalion Parachute Regiment, in charge of the proposed arrest operation and in overall command of the operation to contain the Civil Rights March. The following day, General Ford put Andrew McLellan in overall command of the operation. The Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association, in an effort to avoid a repeat of the violence at McGilligan Strand on the 22nd of January 1972, placed special emphasis on the necessity for a peaceful, incident-free day, and the next NICRA march on the 30th of January 1972. According to a Channel 4 documentary, Secret History Bloody Sunday, broadcast on the 22nd of January 1992, Ivan Cooper, then a Member of Parliament at Stormont, who was involved in the organisation of the march, had obtained assurances from the Provisional IRA that its members would withdraw from the area during the march. On Wednesday the 2nd of February 1972, the funerals of 11 of the dead of Bloody Sunday took place at the craigan area of Derry. Tens of thousands attended the funeral, including clergy, politicians from the North and the Republic, and thousands of mourners. Throughout the rest of Ireland, prayer services were held to coincide with the time of the funerals. In Dublin, over 90% of workers stopped work in respect of those who had died. And approximately 50,000 people turned out to march to the British Embassy. They carried 13 coffins and black flags. Later, a crowd attacked the embassy with stones and bottles, then petrol bombs, and the building was burnt to the ground. Prime Faulkner, then Prime Minister of Northern Ireland, went to London on the 22nd of March 1972 to be informed of the introduction of direct rule. Edward Heath, the British Prime Minister, announced that the storm in Parliament was to be prorogued and direct rule from Westminster imposed on Northern Ireland on the 30th of March, 1972. The announcement was greeted with outrage from Brian Faulkner and the Unionist politicians. The main reason for the suspension of Stormont was the refusal of Unionist government to accept the loss of law and order powers to Westminster. The legislation responsible for direct rule was the Northern Ireland Temporary Provisions Act under the legislation, a new Northern Ireland office was established at Stormont, which was supervised by a new Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, William Whitelaw. Michael Cunningham, in his book, British Government Policy in Northern Ireland, 1969-2000, to 2000, tells us that the suspension of Stormont was designed to be a short-term measure under the term of the Ireland Act 1949. Stormont was to be prorogued initially for one year and Westminster was to take full responsibility for administration until a new political institution could be engineered. This arrangement by which Northern Ireland was excluded from the normal legislative procedure indicated that the reinduction of devolution was the constitutional preference of the British government. Neither the unification of Ireland or the closer integration of Northern Ireland into the UK were considered practical options. British government talks with the Provisional IRA in the summer of 1972 confirmed the latter's commitment to the armed struggle. IRA prisoners went on hunger strike and their families were concerned that their release would be in coffins. And so Provisional Sinn Féin, the political arm, now came into focus. Billy McKee, 1921-2019, became the first OC of the Provisional IRA Belfast Brigade. From the start, there was intermittent feuding between McKee's men and his former comrades in the official IRA, and they vied for control of nationalist areas. However, the Provisionals rapidly gained the upper hand due to their projection of themselves as the most reliable defenders of the nationalist community. McKee himself contributed greatly to this image by an action he undertook on the 27th of June 1970. Rioting broke out in the Ardine area of North Belfast, after an Orange Order parade, and three Protestants were killed in gun battle between the Provisional IRA and Loyalists. In response, Loyalists prepared to attack the vulnerable Catholic enclave of Short Strand in East Belfast. When McKee heard about this, he drove to Short Strand with some men and weapons and took up position at St. Matthew's Church. In the ensuing five-hour gun battle, McKee was wounded and one of his men was killed, along with at least four Loyalists. On the 15th of April 1971, McKee, along with Pranchise MacArthur, was arrested by the British Army when found in possession of a handgun. He was charged and convicted for possession of the weapon and imprisoned in Crumlin Road Prison and Joe Cahill took over as OC of the Belfast Brigade. In 1972, McKee led a hunger strike protest in an effort to win recognition of IRA prisoners as political prisoners. Republicans who were interned already had special status, but those convicted of crimes did not. When McKee was close to death while on hunger strike, William Whitelaw conceded special category status, which, although not officially awarding political status, was tacit recognition of the political nature of their incarceration. McKee was released on the 4th of September, 1974 and resumed his position as OC of the Belfast Brigade. At this time, the provisional IRA called a ceasefire. And Billy McKee was involved with Rory O'Broadig in secret peace talks in Derry with the Northern Ireland office. He was also involved in talks with Protestant clergy in Fecal, County Clare in December, 1974, where he voiced his desire to end the violence. William Whitelaw, First, Viscount Whitelaw, upon the imposition of direct rule in March 1972, became the first Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, serving in that capacity until November 1973. During his time in Northern Ireland, he introduced special category status for paramilitary prisoners. He attempted to negotiate with the Provisional IRA, meeting its Chief of Staff Sean McStiaffan in July 1972. The talks ended in an agreement to change from a seven-day truce to an open-ended truce. However, this did not last long. As a briefing for Prime Minister Heat later noted, Whitelaw found the experience of meeting and talking to Mr MacStéphane very unpleasant. MacStéphane, in his memoir, complimented Whitelaw, saying he was the only Englishman ever to pronounce his name in Irish correctly. William Whitelaw left Northern Ireland shortly before the Sunningdale Agreement was reached.
1: Oh uh-huh.